0: Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. What was your guys' favorite meal during Thanksgiving? All right, let's start with Stewie because Stewie, I was ready. Guys, what was your favorite meal in Thanksgiving? Like what was the very your favorite food that you ate? Let me let, let me rephrase that question. Not meal. Your favorite food. Come on, that's not hard. All right, Jaden, what you got for me? Turkey with, with, with gravy. All right, Jaden, what you got? Woo! Okay, okay. Anybody else has another plot twist like that? Something that your family does that is like this is actually pretty cool. And nobody. All right, I have a hot take when it comes to Thanksgiving meal. I feel like Thanksgiving meal, the best part of Thanksgiving, or for Thanksgiving meal to be the best, you must have chicken. Anybody feel like that? Yeah, chicken. chicken. Yeah, you have to have chicken. If there's no chicken on the table, then it is not a good Thanksgiving meal. So that's my hot take. I'll die on that hill, and I'll meet you guys there in that hill if you want to find me. Uh, But yeah, so I'm so excited. We're concluding our series today on same god and the reason again why we chose to do the series is because we, we wanted you guys to recognize as we come in an end to the as we come into an end of this year as you have been hearing over and over about God, you have heard about your spiritual gift or the the, the, the fruit of the spirit. You have heard about idols. You have heard uh, about the attributes of God. You have heard all of those things about about the Bible and about God. And so, what a better way to end the year than to recognize who God is, and who God is in the Old Testament, who God is in the New Testament, and then still who God is today. And so, that is why we're doing this series. We want you guys to be encouraged by that, but also. As some of you know, with the transitions that are happening next year, I am praying and I'm hoping that this recognition of who God is, that despite of the transitions that are happening, you also know that the same God that has been at work in this youth group, uh, even before me, even now as I'm here, and even after me, is the same God that will continue to be at work. And for you guys to not lose hope, because the reality is, and I'm not making this about myself, but just to clarify or to address it, it is never about the individuals who are standing here in this pulpit. It's not about me. It's not about Pastor Brian. It was not about Pastor Mike. It was not about Pastor, Pastor Adam really. It was not about Pastor Bruce or whoever has came before here. It's about what we teach here, which is the Word of God. We teach a believing God, a Word that talks about this god that does not change and so what that means to you and what that will mean to you as the as you're as you get older as you continue to live life is essential for your guys uh upbringing it's essential for your guys role as a christian it is essential for you guys to live the life that you were called to live in order for to for you to do that you have to recognize that god does not change that he is at, he has been at work he is currently at work and he will continue to be at work because he does not change and so if you have not been to one of the series or one of the sermons we talk about Haggai, which was this lady that was a slave and her master was Abraham. And Abraham's wife, his wife Sarai, told Abraham, hey, go lay with my wife, with this slave. Have a kid. And then that kid will be my kid. And she did that because she didn't believe or she encouraged him to do that because she didn't believe the promise that God gave Abraham, that out of him he was going to make a great nation. And we're told in the story that Haggai does get pregnant, she does have a baby, and then at the same time God, does bless Sarah, she also gets pregnant, and Sarah got mad at, at, at this uh, slave, and she abused her, she was rude to her, she would segregate her, she looked at her with content, and so we're told that this, this slave was so overwhelmed by this that she, she escaped. And in that moment of escaping this abuse or this terrible situation, God sends an angel to her to encourage her and to remind her, hey, we see you, I see you, And we talk about the importance of in those moments in your life when you feel like you are alone, when you find yourself in a circumstance that you don't see anyone or you feel like nobody understands what you're going through, what you're feeling, what you're thinking. In those moments, the encouragement and the reminder that God sees you, that the same God that saw Hagar in those moments also sees you. And then we talk about Gideon. This man that was supposed to be a leader, this man had, that had a, a status and a position among his people to be able to do something great for God. And when God came and approached him and said, it is your time now, Gideon, to get up and to do something for the nation of our God, his self-doubts, his, his uh, struggles, his, his himself prevented him from actually doing something. And we're told that he's arguing with this angel and he's saying, well, if you really are God, then you need to prove it to me. And we talk about how often you and I recognize, no, 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 often. You and I, if you're a Christian, you know the responsibility that you have. We talk about how as pastors or leaders we tend to downgrade how much you guys know what is happening. We tend to downgrade how aware or how much you know about what is actually happening around you. And instead of recognizing that you do know well, you know very well what is going on around you. And Gideon was being the example of someone who knew what was going around him. When the opportunity came for him to do something about it, we saw that he, was, he had self-doubts and he was hesitant. And how you and I do the same thing. You know there are things that you need to do in your school. You know that there are things that you need to do in your friend groups. And even in your own homes. That you don't do them because you're doubting yourself. You allow all of these different voices to speak to you and to keep you from doing the things that you're actually supposed to do. And then we talk about how God encouraged Gideon and showed him that it's not about Gideon. That Gideon didn't need any strength, that God was going to use Gideon despite of his coming. And then how he can use you and me despite of your self-doubts, despite of what you think you're capable of doing, which will lead us to today's message which is on our boy Peter. Now, I did my slides this week, and as you can tell from the very first slide, I did pretty well. It's supposed to do Peter, all right? So, uh, our boy Peter. (laughs) What do we know about Peter? If there's anyone in the New Testament, there are two characters in the New Testament, three characters in the New Testament that are well-known. It's obviously Jesus. We all know Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Now, say it with a deep voice like your name was Tony. Jesus. There you go. Uh, then we got Paul. Everybody know Paul, or some, most of the people know about Paul. And then you got Peter. Peter is one of those that is well-known, mo- more than anything, he's well-known either because he walked on water or he's well-known because he was, in a sense, a hothead. And he did a lot of things that had brought him into fame, into this world. Even, even outside of the Christian world or, or walls, people know who Peter is because of his o- occurrences. And so who is Peter few things about him. Number one, he is a fisherman. You consider the, the, the culture of the time a fisherman. They were the individuals that were the lowest of the food chain. I mean, they were at the bottom of the bottom. If there was anyone that was like a lowlife, it would have been a fisherman. These were individuals that just made it, that they just had to make it over, like they, they didn't know how to, or, or they didn't have means to survive they had to go out and with their own hands to provide for themselves they had to scrap for food they had to do all of these different things they were not they were looked with discontent people would look down on them because they were fishermen they were like you have beggars and then you have fishermen that's how they were so he was a fisherman then you have that he was undependable you could not depend on peter throughout the old new testament you see his character and how there were things that he was supposed to do and he didn't do them there was things that he was meant to do and he didn't do this because you could not depend on Peter. That was his kind of personality. He also was unqualified, not only because he was a fisherman. He was not the most intellectual individual. He was unqualified for him to do anything for the, for the kingdom of God. He was not someone that when you thought of raising a leader or giving someone the opportunity to lead something, he was not that guy because he was not qualified. He didn't have any accolades. He didn't have anything to show for my guy had nothing in his resume. That's Peter. He was—he was not. Man, that's—I'm telling you, I should not be doing my slice. That is hard to read. Good thing I'm—I'm I'm reading it to you. He was rough around the ages. He, this man will say the things that, he, that came to his mind, or the first things that came to his mind, but he would will also will act impulsively. If you think about the time, if you have read the story where he, Jesus was on his journey to the cross, that Judas is leading a group of soldiers and the Pharisees and he's trying, going to apprehend Jesus. The very first thing that Peter does without even Jesus telling him to do anything, he pulled his sword and he cut his, the, the soldier's ear. He was impulsive. He was rough around the ages. You could never know what he was going to do. He was unpredictable. He also made promises that he could not keep. He told Jesus, Jesus told to Peter, now Jesus knowing everything, he says to Peter, he say Hey Peter, before the rooster crow or crew, or however you say that, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster sings, there you go, Nelda. Before the rooster sings three times, you're going to deny me. Or you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says to him, Not Jesus. I'm not going to deny you. I'm paraphrasing. Not only am I willing to go to prison for you, but if it comes for me to die for you, I will do that. He made it and he stated that in such a way as if it was a promise. And instead of actually or keeping up with it, we see the story in a few verses later, how he indeed denied Jesus three times. When, it, when the, the question that was asked of him, didn't even impl- he didn't even have to deny Jesus. He just did it. Three times he denied Jesus before the ruses. He couldn't keep the promises. He is also the one, the only disciple in the Bible that we're told that Jesus calls him Satan. Think about that for a second. Jesus is sharing about his crucifixion and what he's going to do. And we're told in that context of that verse that Peter speaks up. Because he doesn't think before he talks. He allows the influence. And in that moment, because he was persuaded by Satan, he speaks up and says to Jesus, you're not going to die. And that's when Jesus basically slaps him with the true and says, get behind me, Satan. Because he needed to do what he needed to do so that you and I today be safe. And then, lastly, he was a loose cannon. You could never know what Peter was going to do. He denies Jesus three times. Jesus goes, dies on the cross. Before even that, we're told that when, when, when he denied Jesus three times, Jesus looked at him. Peter sees him. He cries out of bitterness because he realized what he had just done. And instead of owning up to that or changing his ways, we're told that he We can see throughout the scripture that he's discouraged to the point that when Jesus died, instead of remembering what God or what he said that he was going to do, we're told that he goes back into fishing. Whether it was because he wanted to give up on his life, whether because he was depressed, for whatever reason, he goes back and doing the very first thing that God called him out of doing. That was Peter. And so... Why do I spend this time talking? Why are we talking about Peter? Because when it comes to someone that I, when it comes to someone that God will use, by all accounts, someone like Peter would have been the very last person that anyone will ever use. When you think about your school, for instance, for those of you that know or even have, have taken part of this, or would like to take part of this, of a leadership team in your school the requirements and qualifications and what they will ask of you for you to do. You will see that the descriptions are very specific. When I, when you, some of you already have sent me some, some letters for, of, uh, or has, have asked me to fill out some of your guys' uh, when you're applying to a, a, a college, you need what is it called? A, yeah, a letter of recommendation. Some of you have even asked me a letter of recommendation for a job or for a college uh, uh, career, and when you, when I get those sent out, you will see the question that they're asking you. And you will see that they all have to do with character. They want to make sure that you don't have any character flaws. They want to make sure that you will stand above the rest. They want to make sure that you are special in who you are and how you behave. That is the standard that we constantly see. And if you were a college recruiter, and if you were someone that you were hiring for a job, and someone like Peter came about, you would, he would have been the very last person that you will ever hire, because of who he was. And yet we see that Peter was someone that God will, or Jesus will go out of his way and intentionally ask to become one of his disciples. Not only that, he will be someone that he will intentionally ask for him to do something for his glory. So why, Peter? See, when you think about who God uses. There is something that you can see clearly throughout the Bible is that God uses ordinary people that are willing to do great things for his glory. God uses ordinary people that are willing, that's the disclaimer, that are willing to do great things for his glory. God is not looking for experts. He's not looking for uh, professionals. He's not looking for those that know very very well what they're doing. He's looking for ordinary people that are willing so that he can use them and do great things with them. Now, this is what we can see throughout the scripture. But look how the world that we live in changes that statement. Look how the world around us changes that statement instead of God uses ordinary people. We think that God uses extraordinary people. Not people that are willing, but people who are extremely capable, who have no baggage, and who are perfect to do great things for his glory. That is how this world thinks that those are the description that we think of who God will use. That's how you and I have been brainwashed to things to think that that's the only way that God can use us is if you and I have no baggage, if you and I are extremely capable, if you and I are perfect, only then God can use you and me. That only if you have no, if you make no mistakes, you can then go to your school and share the gospel with your friends and they will be saved. That only if you are an expert on all accounts of the Bible, that if you know everything that the Bible says in this scenario, that one of your friends was to ask you a question, that only then you will be able and you will feel comfortable to go to your school, to go to your friend groups, to whoever, and talk to them about God. In case that they ask you a question, you must know all the answers. And only then you are capable to be used by God that you must be extremely capable, that you have no baggage, and that you're perfect. And only then, God will do great things through you. But praise God that that is not the case, that God did not go to a seminary, that God did not go to the highest college place, that God did not go to, or Jesus didn't go to the most prestigious locations to raise leaders. He looked for where the people were broken, where people were hurting, for people that were segregated, for people that were hated, for people that had baggages, for people that had made mistakes, for people like Peter who would have been the very last one that anybody would raise. Yet God will use him to do great things for him. So why do we say all of this? You saw last week how you have been created to do great works. If you're a Christian... In the moment that you believe in this message of Jesus, you have been created before the foundation of the world to do great things, to do the work of God. You are his workmanship, is what we're told. But why you? Why me? Why will God ever use somebody like you? Why will ever, why would God ever use someone like you to say to 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 share the good news of the gospel with that friend in your school? Why would God use you to speak life to that person that just lost a family member? Why would you, God use you to that friend or that, or that classmate that you know that is dealing with extreme depression and that they're lost, that they cannot figure it out life, that they're alone, that they're hopeless? Why will God ever use someone like you to make a difference in this high school ministry? Why? why me if you have never asked that question then maybe you should start asking it why will god ever use someone like you and for that we're going to be in the book of first corinthians now i attempted to put it there but you sorry it's going to be hard for you to read it so if you have your Bibles, first corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 we actually pastor bruce actually shared about this this morning so you get to hear twice if you went to first service and he says this in verse 18, 1 Corinthians verse 18. For the word of the cross is fully to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's start with that because that is key for us to understand what's going to happen next. So when you think about this culture and, and this message that is so counterculture, the very first thing that, that Paul starts is by saying, hey, the things of the cross the fact that we are broken, the fact that we are sinners, the fact that we're in desperate need of a Savior, it is foolishness to whoever does not believe on this message. It is foolishness to anyone that does not believe in this message. But for those that actually have believed in this message, if you have believed in this message, then you know well That it is the power for salvation because you remember that one time in your home, in your school, maybe at church, maybe at a camp, maybe wherever, where you were sitting and somebody shared the message of the gospel and and, and it kind of clicked on you. It's like a light on your face that clicked on you and you were like, yes, I am in desperate need of a Savior. I desperately need Jesus in my life. And it clicked there. And in that moment you realize that this gift that God has given you through your son Jesus is what you needed to survive. It's what you needed for eternal life. It's what you needed to grow in your, in your relationship with him. And in that moment, it became the power for salvation. You know that. And so what does he say from there? He quotes Isaiah. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, and I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the deb- deb- debaters of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jewish demand signs and Greek seeks wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and fully to Gentiles. But to those who are called, but Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than the man. And the weakness of God is stronger than man. He's saying here he wants, in, in, in a way, to summarize everything that's going on. He wants them to understand that how the, the 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 magnitude of the wisdom of God, when in comparison to our human mind, the wisest of us uh, wouldn't even compa- we're not even come close to God's slowest or, or 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 smallest sense of wisdom. That in comparison, we are not able to match at all not even close, by a mile away, by thousands of millions of billions, whatever number you want to throw in there, we will never be able to compare it to the wisdom of God. And so in this context, he's going to say this next few verses, which is where I want to point our attention to. In verse 26, he says, and if you're here today, and actually I'm going to do this. If you're here today and you will say, Pastor Eric, I have believed in the message of the gospel. Pastor Eric, there was a day, if I ask you, when did you make the decision? I'm not asking you for the day and time, but I'm asking you for you to remember that moment. You could remember that moment. Where you where? What led you to make the decision? I hope you can. And if not, guess what? There's great news for you, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But if you can remember, then I want you to think of Paul running this verse for you. He says... To them by ascension to you for consider your calling brothers not many of you were wise according to worldly standards not many were powerful not many were of noble birth but god shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise god shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong Why will God ever use someone like you to do something for him? Someone who's broken, who's afraid, who at times lacks boldness, initiative, passion, that is dealing with sin. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you continue to struggle with over and over, and it doesn't matter how much you're praying to God to remove it, you keep finding yourself back at it. Maybe it's the fact that you have apathy, that you don't really care the fact that God wants to use you. Why would God ever use someone like you, you may ask. And we see in this verse that God will use people like you and me, ordinary people, people that have nothing to bring to the table so that everything that is brought to the table will be done exclusively and solely by God himself, by Jesus. So that when we go out and we can, and the fact that you and I can go out, it is not based on what you and I can bring to the table but on what Jesus brought to the table. So that everything that we do, it is done for his glory, it is done through Jesus, and it is done for Jesus. So that that way none of us, neither you, neither me, none of us in this room could ever have an excuse as to why we're not being used by God. Because the same God that used that, that was there for Haggai, the same God that used Gideon, the same God that calls someone record like Peter is the same God that can call you and that can use you because he is the one that's gonna do everything so long as you're willing to be used by Him. That whatever this world thinks is wise, that whatever this world thinks that is the description of someone that God will call, we see here that it's through Jesus that God calls people that are willing, so that through their actions there's nothing that they can do that they can boast about themselves. Because everything that they bring to the table is only the things that God has given them to to do. That your inabilities, that in your weaknesses, that in your imperfections, that in your struggles, that in those moments of wickedness we're told that God is made stronger. That just like in Gideon, God told Gideon, hey, when you go to this army of 120,000 people and, you, and only 300 of you go out and fight them, I don't want you to use swords. I want you to use a torch that you're going to put in a, in a, in a bassinet or in a, or in a container, and I want you to you, you grab a trumpet. And with those two things, you're going to exterminate this, 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 this army so that no one will ever say that you did it, but that it will be known to everybody that I did it. God uses individuals that are willing to make a difference for him despite of their shortcomings, despite of their qualifications, despite of their personalities and capabilities. I want all of you guys to look at that screen and look at that statement there. Maybe you're here today and you have some short comments of your own: some struggles, some mistakes that you have made, some poor decisions, something that is holding you back from actually doing what you know you need to do. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You are adults, in a sense. Many of you have jobs. Many of you are dating. Many of you, if you have your own bank account. Maybe you have your own credit card or maybe an extension of your parents' credit card. You drive. You've been entrusted to make adult decisions. You know very well, and I'm, again, I'm stopping sugar and coating for you. You know the things that need to happen in your homes, in your school, your family, and even in this year group. And maybe there's something that is keeping you from doing that. Maybe it's your shortcomings. You've made some mistakes. You made some of those poor decisions. And you think that because of those decisions that you have made, God will never use someone like you. Maybe you feel that it's the fact that you are not qualified. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a student leader. I don't know all the Bible verses. I don't know so much about God. So if somebody asks me a question, how will I answer? So why would God use someone like me? And maybe that is what you're allowing as the excuse as to why you're not being used by God. Maybe your personality. Maybe you feel that you're not somebody that you're, in, that you're good at talking to others. Maybe you feel like you're awkward, socially awkward. Maybe you feel like people are not going to like you if you speak up. Maybe you feel like you don't have anything to bring to the table, and so you're going to let your personalities keep you from doing that. Or maybe it's the fact that you don't think you're capable that you don't know or you don't have anything to bring to the table. That you have all of this baggage that you're carrying around that is preventing you from actually being used by God. And what I love about the story of Peter is that Peter, when you look at that statement, by all accounts, Peter was full of shortcomings. He was not qualified He did not have a great personality because he was so impulsive, so so hard to predict, and not trustworthy. And he sure was not capable. And yet God or Jesus will use him to be a leader and to be someone that would make a difference for his kingdom. And so much so, we're told in Matthew 16 this, and I'm going to get closer to read it. He says, and Jesus answered him. This is Jesus talking to Peter. And watch what he says here, because it's kind of crazy what he says. He says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. When, G- when they were talking and, got and Jesus, or Jesus asked, hey, who am I? And Peter impulsively a- answered, you are, you're, you're, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of God. And then Jesus' response to that statement is, "I, for uh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, who is in heaven, and tell and, and I tell you, you are Peter." And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth and shall bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosened in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. But in that in that interaction right there, you get to see that Jesus is going to entrust Peter with something that he didn't entrust with anyone else. No Paul, no John, no Silas, no, no one. He entrusted this man that was lost, broken, beat up, untrustworthy, incapable, not qualified. He entrusted him with, with something that it was so great that throughout the New Testament, as you continue to see his life developing, you see how God will use someone like him to do something for his glory. That this man, Peter, that actually means rock. That he's saying that in this statement... That I am the Christ is what I'm going to use to establish my 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 church, and then later on, he's going to give Peter the authority to be able under the authority of invested in him by God to be able to do great things as one of the greatest leaders of the disciples. That God will use someone like him that was not capable, that had not didn't have the accolades that by our world standard would have been the very last person that somebody that God will use. Why Peter? Why you? And yet we see that God is willing to use individuals that are willing to make a difference for him despite despite their shortcomings, their qualifications, their personalities, and capabilities. That God uses who are willing. That God uses who are willing. In the, in the book of Esther, we're told about Mordecai, it's, it's his, her, her, her uncle, and we're told about the nation of Israel. Maybe you heard the story how they were oppressed, and they were in slavery. And in this very moment, Esther has an opportunity to speak up and to make a difference for the nation of Israel. But she was afraid. She was hesitant. She knew that if she spoke out of terms, her life could be in, in, in danger. She knew that if she did something to upset the king, her life could end right there. And Mordecai, her uncle, approaches her and says to Esther, Esther, don't you think that God has called you at times such as this for you to make a difference? Don't you guys think that God has placed you and called you where you are today, not tomorrow, today, for you to make a difference. Pastor Brian is going to come and take over this ministry, in the high school ministry. And my, and my prayer has been, since I found out that this transition was going to happen, and as, I, and as we get ready for this transition, it's for this group right here to be filled with young guys and girls that are willing to, to make a difference. That you guys recognize the opportunity that you have and the message that you've been entrusted. That when we were thinking of a name for the ministry, we we thought of the name citizen because we wanted it to be a constant reminder of where your citizenship lays. That you're not from this world if you believe in the gospel. That your citizen is in heaven. And that the greatest mission the greatest opportunity that you could ever have is to go out into the world and to share the good news of the gospel with people. That this room right now, as you see some empty shares around us, some because they're on vacation, some because they just didn't come, that this room around us, all of this empty share, could be filled with people that desperately need Jesus like you and me if you are so bold and so willing to be used by God. And when all of us are removed, that the effect of your life, that the testimony of your works will never cease to end because you are willing to be used by God regardless of what you think you can bring to the table. Because you know that the same God that used someone like Haggai, someone like Gideon, and someone like Peter can also use you. So the question I want to ask you, are you willing? Are you willing next year to make a difference? Are you willing today to make a difference? This week? Are you willing? I shared this quote before and I'll share it again. This is from the founder of Word of Life. He said this, and I think that I haven't seen something that nails it as good as this. He says... It is every generation's responsibility to reach third generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is your responsibility. As your pastor, my responsibility is to train you, is to equip you. Pastor Brian, his responsibility is to train you, is to equip you. But it is your responsibility to go out. And to reach those around you with the gospel of Jesus. You can make a difference. You are capable of making a difference. You should be making a difference. Not by your own strength, but because God empowers you through His Son and His Holy Spirit for you to be able to do something for Him. So are you willing? Let's pray. Father, I pray for this group of guys and girls here, Lord, that that you will give them the boldness that they need, the encouragement that they need, Lord, to be able to make a difference for you. And if they are already doing something for you, Lord, that you will encourage them to continue to do that for you, to not lose hope, to not let the voices, the discouragement, the circumstances, that that they wouldn't let anything from keeping them from serving you. That they will recognize, Lord, that, what, that, that even though they may not have anything to bring to the table, that that is the best place to be because that means that we solely trust in you and what you can do, Lord. That our strength is based on your strength, not ours. Because if it was based on ours, we wouldn't be able to do anything. But yours, God, you can do so much. And so I pray, Father, that every single one of us in this room, these students, that they will recognize the calling that you have for their life, that the responsibility that they have to reach their peers, that they will be willing to do that, Lord, regardless of what may come, that they will be willing to be used by you. Lord, I pray for them. I pray, Father, that as as the transitions happen, Lord, that you will use Pastor Brian, that he will continue to minister to them, Lord, and that they will be able to, Understand, Lord, that it's not about who's leading, but it's about you, and that they will be passionate and excited to see what you're going to do in this ministry, Lord. Father, I pray this in your name. Amen. One last, one last thing. This is the last time that I'm teaching, so uh, I'll be here for the next three weeks. We have three more weeks that we're meeting, but Pastor Brian is going to start a series. But this is what I will say to you guys. Here's what I ask: is that I'm super excited. For you guys, as you get to have Pastor Brian. And maybe you don't know him that well, maybe you haven't had an opportunity, or maybe you have some reservations about Pastor Brian, but I want you to know that you guys couldn't be in better hands. I am extremely excited. And I'm so encouraged by the fact that he's going to be the one that's going to be leading you guys. I think that there's nobody else here or around or everywhere, or everywhere that could be entrusted with such a blessing that it is to lead you guys. I have had a blessing leading you guys. I've had a blessing being among you guys. I'll still be around. I'm not leaving. But nonetheless, I'm excited. And here's what I ask. I will ask that, especially for the seniors, because you guys, then the tendency of the senior students is to, once there's a change, you want to check out, I would ask for you, the seniors, to not check out. Don't leave. Juniors, don't leave. This is an opportunity. This is a blessing that you have to be able to come to church and be able to be involved. And be able to serve God. And be able to hear from God. Enjoy that while you can. Don't leave. God can still do great things and he will continue to do great things. But all I ask is that don't be that person that goes, well, Pastor Eric did this. Pastor Eric did that. Pastor Eric, no. Don't be that. You guys are better than that. And if you ask me. I will always choose Pastor Brian's side. So if it's between what you think he should do and what he's doing, I will most likely, if not always, choose his side. Actually, I would always choose his sides. So don't come to me asking for to get on your side because I'm not. Because I'm, we trust Pastor Brian and we're excited for Pastor Brian. He will do great, and you guys are going to be blessed by his leadership. Good morning, city.